0: So Tastic Podcast. My name is Roshan Hindia. Today we have with us an amazing entrepreneur. Her name is Amanda Innes Sharif from Georgetown, Texas. She formerly ran Beans and Sweets for two years, which was a coffee and pastry shop. Overall, she's been an entrepreneur for 13 years. And we wanted to take a little time from her schedule to just have her talk a little about her entrepreneurship journey on where they started, how they started, what challenges they went through, how they overcame it, and hopefully answer some of our most burning questions. So welcome with us, Amanda, how are you?
1: I'm very well, thank you, how are you?
0: Wonderful, thank you, thank you. So I'm going to ask a few questions, but before we get started, why don't we do this? Can I ask you to just to have you talk a little about yourself, your family life, and your professional life?
1: Well, my name is Amanda Sharif, as you mentioned. I've been married to my wonderful husband for over 16 years. We have two beautiful daughters. Luca is 11 and Cora is seven. I've spent most of my life in Illinois, and that's where I met you and Tisha. After COVID hit and I had to close the business, mm-hmm. my husband and I decided to move to Europe and lived in Luxembourg for two years. Okay. And we just recently moved back to the States. We're now living in Georgetown, Texas, which is just north of Austin. Happy to be back home and being able to see family again.
0: Obviously, we met at your uh, amazing bakery, and it was definitely a conversation piece because it was definitely a hit when you were based locally with us. And we were just fascinated that you had made this coffee and pastry shop very successful. So what made you pursue business? What made you get started in the first place?
1: My dad did own a business. He owned a farming business. So not in the sense that I owned a business. So I wouldn't say that I grew up always knowing that I wanted to be a business owner because being a farmer is much different than being a small business owner. Yeah. But I would say I knew that I wanted to own my own business because of my passion for baking. When I was going to college, I started going to college for business management because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And as I started taking business classes, I started thinking that someday I probably did want to own my own business. Okay. And it wasn't until my mid twenties though, that I really discovered my love for baking. I'd say I knew that I liked to bake with my grandparents and things like that before, but I never thought of it as being able to do that as a job. That, that never even crossed my mind mm-hmm. until one day when I've been in health insurance for over 21 years. Okay. And one day I was at work And I was in a, in a meeting and they gave us a to-do, right? So make a short-term goal that you're going to complete in the next three weeks and then make a long-term goal. And I had started thinking about baking and wanting to do more of that. And so my short-term goal that I gave myself was to go check out some culinary schools. And I follow my goals. When I set a goal for myself, I like to I like to check those boxes. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. So I drove to Chicago by myself and checked out the Cooking and Hospitality Institute of Chicago, also known as Le Cordon Bleu. And as soon as they walked me through those kitchens, I was hooked. And I was like, I have to do this. I signed up then and there, went back to work and said, hey, I'm giving you a six-month notice. In six months, I'm starting culinary school. Wow. And decided to move to Chicago by myself, not knowing anybody. And from there on, I knew that that was going to be my journey.
0: Wow, okay. So six months between when you wrote your goals out, roughly, roughly about six months from when mm-hmm. you wrote your goal out to actually when you said, hey, I'm done. I'm going to start up my own business.
1: Yeah, until I said... I'm done. I'm going to go to culinary school and start school. So, Uh I did go to culinary school six months later. And funny enough, when I quit my job and moved to Chicago, one of the VPs called me that same weekend that I moved in and wanted me to work part time for the company. And so, I was able to keep my job and my benefits and still go to school. So, it worked out great.
0: Okay. Help me understand. So, a lot of people in your position, I would think, would go the quote unquote safe route, which is work for a bakery shop or work for a restaurant or work for a chef, right?
1: So right after college, so in college, you have to do what's called an externship, which is just like an internship. But for pastry chef, it's an externship. You don't get paid, right? You're just working for someone and you have to have so many hours. So I was working at this shop in Chicago called Vinny Patisserie uh, for a French pastry chef. And it was amazing. I loved it. I was working there a couple of days a week and on the weekends, and I was learning so much from Dimitri, and it really solidified that this is what I want to do with my life. Okay. But he offered me a job uh, at the end of my internship, and when I looked at how much that paid versus how much I was making at my health insurance job, I was like, ah, I can't do it. I can't pay my bills on that. So that's when I was really like, hey, if I want to have a future in this, I've got to work for myself. It's, it's just not going to work any other way. Because it's really difficult. The only way you're going to make money in that industry is if you become a head chef at, you know, a really famous restaurant or open your own restaurant. And let's face it, that works out for very few people
0: Mm -hmm. when you decided to start up your own business what were some of your hesitations some of your concerns so
1: i would say my fear (laughs) was in losing all of my money and not being able to support my kids Mm -hmm. when i finished culinary school i wasn't married yet and i didn't have kids my husband and i were dating but we weren't married yet and we didn't have any kids and I was still supporting myself and didn't want to rely on this person that I was going to marry, right? That's not how you want to jump into a marriage. Like, hey, I need you to support me while I live out my dreams. So I still wanted to make money and be able to, you know, take care of myself, support myself. And I was afraid of losing that, right? I was afraid of starting a business and it failing. I wasn't really afraid of failure for myself because I know that businesses fail all the time, right? It was more so in not being able to pay the bills. It, it was just from a money perspective and not not necessarily like a status, right? Like, oh, you failed. So I decided to start doing it out of my house, which is what a lot of bakers do these okay. days. Okay, And so I started a business called Tarte Patisserie and I was just baking out of my house and not charging enough money, but that was fine, right? Because I was getting experience. I was getting practice. I was doing things for people that I knew people, mostly people at work in Chicago. And it was giving me all of the experience and life lessons that I needed before I started a business. It, it allowed me to see that I could turn it into a business, that it was successful enough, that I was getting enough support and business from people that I can turn it into a real life brick and mortar.
0: So there's, there's two chains of thought that I've usually seen business owners, right? One is, hey, I'm going to quit everything, burn all my bridges, and I'm going to not work. I'm going to focus strictly on this business. When you started out of your home, The other chain of thought is, "Hey, let me do something for Plan A while uh, to pay bills, to pay uh, you know day-to-day expenses while I work my Plan B business." Right? Right. Which bucket did you fall in when you started the business in the first place?
1: Yeah, so that's exactly what I was doing. I was let me have my day job, and I'll do this on the side to start this business, start saving money every dime that I made either went back into my little side business or saving for a future business. You know, that's exactly it. I was baking at night until, you know, midnight, one o'clock in the morning. And by the time I had kids, that became exhausting, right? Right. We were living in Naperville. We were, you know, we had a kid that was in daycare. We had a kid that was in uh, elementary school. And so kids are exhausting. So I'm working a full-time job, eight, nine, 10 hours a day. I was in management. So I was working a lot of, you know, it wasn't just a 40-hour work week. And then I was taking care of my kids. And then when they would go to bed, then I would bake. And so I finally, I had just turned, the day after I turned 40, I was on my way home from Chicago. And I was thinking, I have a very strong faith in God. And I was on my way home and I was praying and at saying, you know, what do I do? Do I continue to do this? I've been doing this for 13 years, hoping that this dream would come true and it's getting to be very difficult. Do I continue down this route or do I just stop the business altogether and just focus on this full-time job that I'm miserable at? Or do I go all in, right? And start this business. And lo and behold, that day when I got home, I had an email from someone who owned a cupcake shop in Naperville and was interested in leaving and wanted to know if I would like to buy her business. Okay. And that seemed like a sign mm-hmm. to me, that, a, pretty a sign. clear sign. <laughs> and so I started talking to her and I said, well, maybe, maybe I would like to. It took us nine months of negotiating and just kind of discussing what that would look like, what the buyout would look like, because I wasn't interested in buying her name or her recipes or anything like that. But at at the end of nine months, we were able to come to an agreement. So for me, like you said, plan, plan B, right? Like you just kind of go all in. I did go all in. I quit my job and I, and I started this business, but for me buying an existing shop was amazing because I didn't have to do the build out, which was something that I had always planned that I would have to do, which costs a lot of money. It takes a long time. You're working with architects and code planners and all those things. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have to do that. I literally signed papers one day and the next day I was open. The shop was open.
0: Okay. Yeah. So help me understand. I know there's a lot of entrepreneurs that struggle between planning everything beforehand and then starting the business versus mm-hmm. starting and figuring it out as they go along. So mm-hmm. you had never run a store. Now you had an opportunity to talk to an existing business owner as they were essentially selling their business, right? Mm-hmm. Their, their space. So I'm sure there was a little bit of, you know, frequently asked questions that you went through with them. How do you gain customers? How do you uh, advertise? How do you um, take care of uh, keep, keeping things up to code?
1: Well, that was one of the joys of buying an existing business, you have someone who's been in business for, I think she had been there for six years. Hmm. So she knew the ins and outs of it. She could tell me all of the vendors that she used. She could tell me how to keep up to code, you know, for the the city. Hmm. How did she market her business? Did she give away a lot of product to try and get people in the door? And her husband actually stayed on also for a couple of months afterwards. To stay in the shop and help out just to make sure that I had enough support there. It was kind of like having a mentor Mm. because she was more than happy to help me because she wanted to see me succeed. You know, she didn't want to just sell her business and get out. She wanted me to be as successful as she, as she was. So she was very open and honest with me and shared a lot of her experience, things that were difficult for her. Now, my business was a little bit different from hers. Like I said, I did, when I bought the shop, I got all of her recipes and her name, but I changed all that because. You know, I had spent the last 13 years creating my own recipes and I wanted to do what I wanted. Yeah. Yeah. So I I redecorated and, you know, rebranded. And I think my biggest lesson learned from there was they didn't want people to know that they were leaving. So they came to work one day and then put up a sign saying that they were going to be closed the next day for maintenance. Hmm. And that was actually the day that they sold. And so when I opened the next day for at least six months afterwards, people were coming in saying, where, where are the owners? What happened? What, what's this new name? You know, why do the cupcakes look different? Why are you selling, you know, whoopie pies now? Mm -hmm. And that got really old (laughs) really quickly. Uh And some people were just really angry Mm -hmm. and that anger was taken out on me Because they didn't want to say a fond farewell. They just wanted to get out, retire, and move. And I completely understand that. And they should be able to do that. And it seems strange that people would be upset that, you know, it's a different cupcake from yesterday to today. But people have their preferences. But I think if I could do things different, I would have asked them to make a statement. You know, I think maybe I would have been a little bit more welcomed and... People wouldn't have been as hesitant or as angry to see, you know, their beloved shop go and try someone new out.
0: How do you envision your journey if they had just cold cut up and left and said, we're not going to do any sort of like knowledge transition or anything like that? We're just going to
1: leave.
0: figure it out on your own. Would you actually have made the jump?
1: I would have, but I wouldn't have opened right away. I think I would have taken some time to, you know, get familiar with the kitchen, with the environment, you know, maybe do some test open, you know, some soft launches. I, I definitely would have needed more time to get my feet wet. I definitely felt more prepared in having their knowledge and their help and their support.
0: Yeah. So, Amanda... Let me ask you this. When you start up a new business, there's struggles that entrepreneurs go through. In in your case, you actually uh, gained a store that was already existing, but I'm sure you went through some challenges, whether it was how do you get foot traffic consistently? How do you work with vendors for the best pricing from their side? What were some of the struggles that you went through that you had to overcome?
1: Yeah, there are a lot of struggles when you open a new business and I don't know that it ever completely goes away but i think just the newness of it right like you know you have to pay taxes but i swear it feels like you're paying taxes every time you turn around <laughs> turn around you know food and beverage taxes and state taxes and all of that so i think keeping a calendar and agenda for myself to make sure that i stay on top of those things it's just like balancing a checkbook and managing a per- personal your personal finances only you have to do that times two, right? So you're doing it at home and then you're doing it at your business. And so it it is, there are a lot of similarities, but then there are also some differences as well. Vendors for a small business, you don't have a lot of leverage in changing the amounts that you pay to your vendors. Mm. So you just shop around. You have to shop around, I would say, about every six months. It's smart to do that every six months to see who is offering the best prices on the items that you're purchasing on a regular basis. Mm. Yeah, foot traffic is huge, right? And I'm not sure I ever fully overcame that. Mm. And it's just, honestly, I think it's the nature of the beast. Mm. For one, the location wasn't perfect. I mean, I was in a strip mall Mm -hmm. and there's not a lot of foot traffic over there. So you have to try to do things to bring foot traffic in. So I would do, I posted every single day. I got really good at social media, which was not something I was real familiar with uh, before that. And I would do giveaways. A friend of mine owned a flower business. Okay. And balloon business and she and I became friends just from her coming into the shop yeah yeah and we did a lot of parties and Mm. events together Mm. and we didn't make a ton of money off of it but it helped bring traffic in and gain new customers Mm. I would also go out to events that the city was putting on so downtown Naperville would do things like All Hallows Eve And I would work with them to be their vendor and to sell my goods out there. I did negotiate with them down on a tent so that I could make a little bit of money off of that. But it wasn't, I wasn't really in those things for the money. It was to get my name out there and try to build more clientele. Mm, Okay. I would say, I think the hardest thing, I was making pastries from scratch every morning Mm. and because... I am very passionate about the product that I put out. You know, I threw things away that I didn't sell that night. And so the hardest part is knowing how much to make. If by the end of the night, I'm throwing things away, it broke my heart to throw those things away, right? I worked so hard on it and that's money out the door. But then on the flip side, if I would sell out early, I would think, oh shoot, I should have made more you know, yeah. it's kind of a, a catch 22 or a, a double-edged sword, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that you ever really learn that perfectly mm-hmm. because things change every day same people aren't going to come in every day. But I would say that was one of those things that I really struggled with, the difficulty of knowing how much to make.
0: I'm sure that you had your busy days versus busy, busy seasons, right? That creates a little bit of predictability, but it's crazy to realize that.
1: It, it's hard, especially because it that's money out the door, right? It feels like, oh, I worked so hard for that. And then it's not just money, it's your time out the door that you've wasted. It's oh, I hate to throw things away when there's starving people out there. But those are things that would cross my mind every single day.
0: How did you know what type of customers to focus on? There's obviously businesses that you can go after. There's individuals. How did you strike a balance? Because you mentioned a little bit of going uh, to certain events and just getting your name out there. So it wasn't for profitability. But then how did you understand your market to focus on?
1: You always, have in mind what you think you're going to do, right? And you think that your business, this is why it's going to work. And this is why it's going to be successful. But you have to listen to your customers, right? You have to follow the trends, listen to what they're saying. And not necessarily what they're saying, but what they're telling you and what they're buying and what they're not buying. So I learned very early on that it was the moms who were, planning these parties who are working on the PTO at all of the schools who are telling, you know, their other mom friends to go to beans and sweets. And so I just kind of, I really paid attention. I, I mentioned that I'd been in health insurance for 21 years. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of that, I was in data reporting and analytics. And so I love data. I'm a data nerd. I love numbers. I love analysis. So I wasn't just the person who wanted to come in and bake every day. Yes. I love that. Yes. Baking was my passion, but I also loved to go home and look at my numbers. And at the end of every month, study the analyses and the trends and changes. That's how I would decide how I needed to change things. Right? So my menu changed every week and I would base it off of analysis from previous month. So I really use data to my benefit.
0: Nice. You mentioned marketing yourself on social media. Did you find that marketing yourself on one social media versus another or getting your name out there on Google search results? How did you find that journey?
1: Difficult. (laughs) I am not, I'm not a huge fan of social media. It's okay. You know, I, I like to keep up with my friends and spend a few minutes on there, but It was very difficult to kind of learn the trends and when to post and how to post and what I should be posting. But yes, Instagram was definitely where I had my most followers and where people were the most active. So that is mostly where I would share, like if I was doing giveaways or just quick little videos, but I would post every single day what our menu was. I would try to do a little video or some pictures of something new that we were doing. And that did help because if I didn't do that, my customers knew and I would, the phone would ring off the hook all day long. Just calling to see what you have today. And I was like, oh, I've got to get my post out there because, you know, that takes up so much time answering that phone.
0: A lot of business owners find ways to keep themselves motivated through the struggles and challenges, whether that be talking to, other business owners, whether that's listening to podcasts that help them get positive again, how did you stay positive during the times when you knew business wasn't going according to your wishes? I
1: prayed, I prayed a lot. <laughs> I, I I did talk to people. I would listen to podcasts. I would listen to music, music that was uplifting, um, that would kind of help. Yeah, inspiring. I would reread a book, a business book. There were, I read a lot of business books and I would just think maybe there's something I've missed, right? Or maybe I just need to hear something today or maybe I just need a sign. I would talk to my friends, right? My friends were very uplifting and supportive. My family was very supportive. So I think you have to keep yourself grounded. It's so easy to get caught up in, oh, I had a bad day today. Maybe I maybe I shouldn't have opened my business, right? just because you have one bad day or because somebody makes a negative comment Mm. but you can't let those things get you down because you know i mentioned early on that my dad was a farmer Mm. and one of the things i learned from my dad was you have really good years you have really bad years and you just have to learn to plan you know appreciate the good years and for me it was appreciate the good days the good hours and plan for the bad years or the bad days right and just because you have one bad day, hey, it, it's not the end of the world. Tomorrow's a new day. And I would just try to go home, kind of brush it off and and know that tomorrow was a new day.
0: Well, good stuff. Okay, so why don't we talk about some of the successes? Because going from a home-based business to a store-based business, what were some of the successes and things that you were pleasantly surprised with?
1: Well, Rashawn, I think that just getting there was a success to me, hmm. honestly. I remember standing in my shop by myself one day and looking out the window and just kind of looking around and thinking, I can't believe I did it. I can't believe this place is mine. Like for 13 years, I've dreamed about it. I've thought about it. You know, I've written it down. I've read the books I've planned. And now this is truly mine. And so for me, it was a success. No matter what happened, I was just super proud of myself for going for it you know i took each day's accomplishments and would think about that on my drive my short drive home i lived like 5 minutes away from the shop mm-hmm. but i would literally drive home and think about okay what's one accomplishment that i had today maybe it wasn't a great day but i learned something new or i met a new person who gave me a different perspective or who just loved my products and said, Oh, I can't wait to come back. And it put a smile on their face or one accomplishment that I was super proud of was I was only in business for a short period of time. And I was named one of Naperville's best. So they put out that the magazine regularly and every year they have a top three in every category. And I was listed top three of Naperville's best. And I was just super proud that people voted for me, even though I hadn't been around that long. I think one of my other accomplishments that I was super proud of was I had a food critic come in and try a lot of different things. And she wrote a really, really, really well-written and really nice article about me in Glancer Magazine. And when I read it, I was just over the moon and I was like, I've made it. I'm in a magazine.
0: <laughs> wow. <laughs>
1: it's a local magazine, but I'll take
0: it. You know, uh, they say don't listen to critics, but when critics are positive, definitely listen. <laughs> yeah
1: yeah it, it made me feel really really
0: good wow can you help me understand i mean you've talked a little bit about you know how you decided to become financially literate as a business owner you know when it comes to profits and loss or accounting or debt management or investing how did you know what was good what wasn't good
1: first i mentioned i read a lot mm-hmm. and i would read every entrepreneur book i could get my hands on specifically if it had to do within food because I knew that it could give me insight. I will mention that two of the books that for me, I found extremely helpful and that I read multiple times were The $100 Startup. Mm -hmm. And the other one is called The E-Myth Revisited. I've read that book probably five times. It's a really, really good book, especially if you're making widgets. I think it's very helpful. Uh, The other thing I did was Many years ago when I was still planning on going into business with my girlfriend, I felt like I didn't have that background right mm. in the financial part of it. And I didn't know how to manage profit and loss and write a balance sheet. And so I found it was actually a class, that this gentleman that taught a class at a local uh, community college in Elgin. And I met with him and he shared these spreadsheets and these profit loss statements and walked through literally every single cell in those documents and how they're calculated. And I told you I'm a data nerd, so I loved that. And I played around with it and used that when I wrote my business plan and just started thinking, okay, if I could sell this much a day. And so I started creating those spreadsheets with what I consider to be like, real dollars, right? Obviously it was play money, but um, just to kind of say, could I survive off of this? Could we make enough money at this? So those documents were extremely helpful. I also worked with a guy at my previous job, and he quit his job to open up his own accounting business, and he's very successful, and because he was a friend of mine, he offered me a lot of free advice. He met with me and looked over um, the documents. He looked over my business plan, and he offered me a lot of great advice, so I did have support in that sense. Mm -hmm. I found that banks offer a lot of free classes, and it may not be a class in the sense that you're sitting there and somebody is teaching you, Mm. but they'll have these classes where entrepreneurs will get together and kind of talk about how things are going, and they'll offer you information. It'll be a class on a specific topic, Mm. and I would just join those classes because it was free, Mm. and I was hungry to get as much information as I could. And banks love to help out entrepreneurs because they think at some point you're going to want a loan, right? They want you to, to work with them and get a loan from them. So they offer a lot of free advice and free classes to entrepreneurs. So always, always look up things like that in your area that you can get free advice or a mentor, a business mentor. I met people, other entrepreneurs who would come in and they had a small business, maybe in in the same town or a partnering town. And they would tell me what worked well for them. Sometimes we would partner together on events or just share things that we've learned or information. So there's a ton of resources out there and tons of people who want to see you succeed, even though you don't think that but I was really surprised when I opened how many people just really wanted to see me succeed, people that I didn't know previously. Hmm. So use that to your benefit.
0: Good stuff, chocolate good stuff, okay. Knowing all this stuff, Sotastic is is a financial literacy school, right? So why do you think financial literacy is a critical skill? especially at earlier ages? Because obviously you had a support system, it sounds like that you created. You had people that you could uh, talk to, but had you gotten some of that learning earlier on, could it have helped? So
1: I learned financial planning personally at a very early age from my parents. Mm. My dad was a farmer, owned his own business. My mom worked for the same company for over 30 years. My mom would balance a checkbook to the penny she knew to the penny how much she needed to have in her pension and her 401k and her savings so that she could retire early. And she did. She retired at 51. Wow. She is 70 and still lives very comfortably and is having a very happy retirement. And so I learned from a very early age, not just saving, but not having that instant gratification. My parents never bought the name brand things for me and I hated it as a kid. It was so embarrassing, mm. but I, I didn't die, right? I, <laughs> I didn't die from that embarrassment. Mm. And I do think that having you know, my parents as financial role models mm. definitely helped me. Mm. But I think that Some people do just kind of jump into a business Mm. without thinking about those things, without planning and planning and planning. And I had a long time to plan because I had those 13 years where I couldn't get a business off the ground. Mm. And so all I could do was read more books and do more planning and save more money. Right? Mm. So who knows? I don't know. Maybe if I didn't have the parents that I had, maybe I would have just winged it and it would have worked. I'm very open and honest with my kids about money. And even at the shop, they lived at the shop. It was their second home. Mm -hmm. I would tell them why you can't eat something for free Mm -hmm. or why you can't just, you know, eat those bananas in the back because they're sitting there because I have those planned for a very specific reason. And if I don't use that, then I don't make that money. Mm -hmm. And likewise at home, we try to teach our kids about allowance, about saving for something that they want, that they're not going to get everything that they want. They're not going to get instant gratification. My 11 year old has been begging for Crocs, which I think are the worst shoes ever invented. And so I wouldn't buy them for her. So she learned she had to save and she finally got enough money and just ordered them this week and is super happy. And I, and I think that it, it means more to them when they can buy it with their own money and when they had to save and when they have to make that decision about, I want all of these things, but I really want this thing, right? I only have so much money, so I'm going to buy this. And we do the same thing when they want toys or they want to go somewhere. We'll say, okay, our monthly budget for entertainment or for toys or for whatever it is, is this amount of money we've already spent it. So next month, let's prioritize what you want. Let's prioritize those things to see what we're going to spend that money on. Hmm. So, I mean, I do that for myself. So I think it's important to do that with my kids as well.
0: That's a very wise lesson. And one of the things that I appreciate what you said is, you had parents that were good financial role models. And generally speaking, what I've seen is a lot of parents, they come from good intentions, but if they don't have the right financial success, if you will, they may not be able to give you proper advice. Like in your case, your father had run a business. Your mother had learned how to, to look at delayed gratification and retire early. I think those are great success stories that they could model for their kids. And a lot of parents feel like that they can teach but you know if they're still struggling financially it's hard for them to impart knowledge that they themselves don't necessarily have right okay so it brings us me to my favorite question what would you advise your younger self on finances
1: one thing i would tell myself is not to go to culinary school really okay <laughs> yeah If I could change anything, that's what I would change. It put me in a world of student debt that, and the ROI on that is, it's just not worth it. Mm. I could have done the same thing. So for anybody listening, anybody who comes, I do have a lot of people who come to me and say, my, my kid is interested in being a chef or a pastry chef Mm. because it's so popular on TV now. Right. Mm. And I say, don't go to culinary school. Don't spend $60,000 on a high interest loan or whatever. You can take classes online. You can take classes at a culinary school where you just take one-off classes, a couple thousand dollars per class. So culinary school, it runs the whole gambit, right? Even though I maybe I didn't want to make wedding cakes, but I had to learn that in a one-month class, right? Okay figure out what your niche is and go take classes specific to that niche. Mm. And that way you're only spending a couple of thousand dollars here and there. You can also train under a chef, a pastry chef, Mm. right? I would have loved to have trained people who were coming up and who had some knowledge, but wanted to learn more. Mm. I would have been happy to to help train somebody like that. So there's other ways to get that information and to learn that skill set, there's also a lot of things online on YouTube and you know, master classes and things like that for, for me, right? For my trade, I'm not saying don't go to college, <laughs> I'm telling my kids to go to college, mm-hmm. but I'm saying if you have a trade, look out there and see if there is a return on the investment that you're going to make. Yeah. I think the other thing I would say is I would love to be able to give back to my community more, and so I wish that I would have learn that at an early age to focus more on that. Also, not just saving for your retirement. When I was young, when I was first starting out in my career, my early 20s, when I thought about saving, all I ever thought about was saving for my retirement, because that's what I always heard from my parents. There's so many other things to save for, right? When you talk about saving for your future, it's not just your future 40 years from now, it's your future car that you want to get. It's your future travel plans. It's what kind of house do I want to buy in 10 years? Or where do I want my kids to go to school? Or there's so many things that you can save for. And so don't just save for that one thing. Don't just save for that thing that's so far off in the distance. Mm -hmm. Save for the things that you don't even know that you want yet.
0: Good advice. Very good advice. I know you really have an interesting journey. What are some things that you're doing now as a business owner? I know you've started your own blog. You've started some things to continue your business journey. Can you just tell us Mm -hmm. a little about that?
1: Yeah. So when when I had to close the business in the middle of COVID, I was so sad and it was like losing an arm. Honestly, like I didn't know what to do without the shop. I was there all the time. The kids were there all the time and they would talk about it, how much they missed it. And I was just trying to hold that sadness inside. Right. So I was trying to think, what can I do that still allows me to do this from home? I knew I didn't want to give up baking because it's my passion. It's what I love to do with having the shop. What I loved most was being able to share it with people. So when we moved to Europe, I had already talked to my girlfriend who was the the business owner who owned the flower shop and the the balloon business. So we kind of talked about, you know, maybe starting a blog when I moved over to Europe and we talked about, you know, lots of different things. She's very crafty and DIY. And of course I just love baking. And so I started the blog and let me tell you, you can't just start a blog. (laughs) Like a lot of people think. It is a lot of work, probably like a podcast. Okay. You know, was, there was a lot of preparation that went into it, but it gave me something to focus on. So I had to learn how to write for a blog. I had to learn a different social media skill set, right? Not just posting my menu every day, but writing and, and how do I share this on these social media pages? Mm. I had to learn photography. I'm a terrible photographer and I had to get a lot better at that. Okay. So I took classes and I watched everything I could get my hands on online. I, you know, just started sharing my recipes. It fulfilled that part of me that I was missing after closing the shop. It was kind of therapeutic Mm -hmm. for me. And also people who had been following me through Beans and Sweets, now were like, oh, this is awesome, I love these at your shop, I can't wait to make them. Or people would email me or message me after a recipe and say, oh my gosh, these are the best cookies I've ever had, I'll never use another sugar cookie recipe in my life. Mm So just being able to keep that as a part of, you know, my life Mm -hmm. and being able to continue to share that with people has been a blessing to me. And it's been really, really amazing.
0: Amanda, thank you so much for imparting some amazing tips and advice. I'm sure our listeners are going to love it. And I appreciate your time and your thoughts. Thank you.
1: Thank you for having me. Thank you again.